0: Storie Libre presents... I've been looking for her. It was Venu who gave me her name. And I read it several times in Camilla's book. I knew they were close friends. In that book, I have seen her face too, but I didn't know anything about her, except what her name was and what I'd found on the internet. I knew, for example, that she had been an actress, not just any actress. She had acted for Danny Boyle in both 28 Days Later and The Beach. I knew that she had become a director, and I knew, of course, that she had been a Sanyazin child. I'd sent her a few messages on Messenger, but she never replied. I didn't insist. When I finished my work, I sent her the podcast, again, only silence. After telling the story of Maruja, I wondered if my messages had ever really reached her. So I asked Venu and he told me that he knew I had already received a no as an answer. Not really, but her silence spoke more than a thousand words and I would respect that and never bother her again. When exactly seven months later, I received a message from her, I was amazed. She apologized for not having replied confirmed that she had no intention of talking about that aspect of her life, which she shared with only a few people, and congratulated me on my work. I thanked her and promised never to stalk her again. And yet, something had happened. A few days later, she wrote to me again to tell me that she had listened to the last episode of Lost Children and that she was particularly touched by it. She said that maybe she could trust me and entrust me with her memories but that my work was probably considered finished now. I believe that in that moment I had just received a gift. Because the idea that this project might have moved something in her, even though I didn't know what, for me that was enough to tell her, if you want, I'm here. During that phone call, in an attempt to guarantee her maximum protection, even though I didn't know what story she was going to tell me, I told her, we can manage it whichever way you want. We can avoid telling your name or use another one. And she said, you know, the point is, I don't have another name. I was baptized by Osho. I'm just Bindu. And this was the first information I got from her about her story. Bindu was actually born in Pune. What you will listen to in this episode of Soli, you will listen to it as I did, all in one breath, and for the first time. Because Bindu and I never physically met, and we didn't hear from each other again until the day of the interview. I just shared with her via email the topics I wanted to talk about, and I never imagined how far it would take me. This is Roberta Lippi. I write for TV, radio and the web. You're listening to Soli, a journey into the memories of children who grew up in Oshus Commune between the beginning of the 70s and the first half of the 80s. Of all the children I've been looking for, I never thought it would be Bindu who would make me open the project again. The daughter of a Swiss-Italian mother and an American father, Bindu was born on the 19th of December, 1976, in Pune. Osho picked her name. Ma Prem Bindu. Drop of love.
1: My name is Bindu De and I was born in India. I was born in Pune and my mother went to India in 1976 and she was already pregnant with me. And she was on a spiritual path, I suppose it was a spiritual quest, and she had heard of Osho before she got pregnant with me and um, decided to go to India to meet Osho, even though she was pregnant with me. And I was born in India. In fact, I only have the name Bindu because Osho christened me Prem Bindu when I was about a month old. So I was a baby and have always been sannyasin or I suppose I was given sannyas, took sannyas when I was a baby, uh, it was not my choice, it was my mother's choice and later on in life I came round to question the, the concept of that. And yeah, my mum, So it was only my mum who went to India, my father didn't come, he was not involved in, in the communes and Osho, in fact at the time he didn't know that I was uh, born didn't know my mother was pregnant. Um, that was her her life path, her life choice to continue with a pregnancy um, and and to go to India and have the baby. In fact, nobody knew that my mum was pregnant. She sort of dis- did a disappearing act and arrived in India and stayed there. And I lived in India for the first five years of my life, going back and forth from India to Switzerland, where my mother is from. Um, De- mostly dependent on how sick I either became as a child or, and as a baby uh, and or how sick my mother became as as a new mum so um yeah we went back and forth India and um Switzerland so I don't really know how my mum um became in contact or or found out about Osho Bhagwan uh, at the time. My mom has always been a a spiritual person and has always, uh, I suppose, had an interest in her own inner spiritual life. And she uh, lived in South America and traveled around the world um, searching and asking herself many questions from way before I was born. And I'm not quite sure how she she came to know about Osho, although it was the '70s, and and if you were slightly alternative and hippie, um, you were definitely acquainted with India and uh, and the country that is India, the spiritual world that India embodies, and uh, and I think well, I don't know how she she knew of Osho or Bhagwan at the time, but she decided to go to India and. Um, I'm in both in awe of her and uh, still to this day questioning how uh, a Swiss woman, um, three months pregnant, um, went to India for the first time and was brave enough to pass her entire pregnancy there. I mean, it, it was not easy. I know the stories she has told me. It was, it was pretty tough. Um, so, yeah, she, that's, that's her journey there to India. And then, of course, once she met Osho, she fell in love with, with what he ha- had to say, with him as a, as a person, and as a spiritual leader and a master, and, um, and that's that. My mum didn't tell anyone that she was pregnant uh, with me when she went to India. She, she told my auntie, um, because my auntie saw her being sick, and, um, and I, I suppose she thought, actually maybe somebody needs to know in case something bad happens. But she didn't tell her parents. She didn't tell my dad. She just left for India. And, and in fact, it was only after I was born that she informed her family that I was alive um, and that she would had a daughter.
0: At the time, Binda's mother makes a decision that today seems strange and reckless. She's leaving for a country she doesn't know. And among other things, she ignores what medical support it will be able to provide her during her pregnancy. When she gives birth at the hospital in Pune, she's already a sanyasin and she has already decided that she will not be the person who will name her daughter. Osho himself will.
1: There's a funny story, actually, when I was born, and I remember my mum telling me this, and, I, and I, uh,
0: I think I remember
1: it, or maybe I... Created more of a story than it was, but uh, one of the stories when I was born was that in hospital. So my mum was really clear that she wanted Osho and Bhagwan at the time to give me at my name. So when I was born at the Shri Hospital in Pune, my mum didn't want to give me a name and said to the hospital staff, "No, no, no. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to give her a name. She doesn't have a name until." OSHA gives it to her. And they couldn't get their head around that, the staff, the doctors and nurses and the Indian, nurses in the Indian hospital. They were like, oh, well, you can't leave the hospital uh, without naming your child. You can't be, have her be a nameless person as she exits this. Um, and they said, oh, well, maybe on the birth certificate, we just put down, Mar-, they knew my mom was Italian or a Swiss-Italian, and they said, maybe we can put down Margherita like the pizza they didn't I don't think they knew that margherita actually means daisy in italian so my name could have been daisy uh margherita but they were associating ah the italian with pizza margherita and so I always laughed at that and thought maybe my name would have been margherita first and foremost so I always thought about that and played around with the idea of being called
0: margherita So Bindu is born in Pune and waits for the day of her sannyas baptism, for Osha to give her a name, an identity, which differentiates her from all the others. Meanwhile, the mother, shortly after the birth of her little girl, decides that it is time to tell her parents and Bindu's father. So yeah, my birthday is just before Christmas, and so
1: at Christmas, she sent them a telegram and um, announced... That, uh, that I was born. I believe it's a telegram, actually, and maybe I'm dramatising it for my own purposes, but I, I believe it's a telegram. Maybe it was followed by a phone call. Uh, but I remember it was a very big shock for my grandparents.
0: Bindu's father suddenly learns that he has a daughter. He will become part of her life many years later. He, he came to know
1: about my existence
0: after I was born,
1: so my mum wrote him a letter when I was a, a baby informing him that I was his daughter and my name was Bindu. And... I met my father when uh, I was seven years old. I mean, I met him a couple of times when I was younger, but I, when I remember him, he became part of my life when I was seven years old. Uh, he was not a part of Osho or the commune, uh, although he was in a theatre collective and he was he had lived a very... Um, alternative life as well, he, he was not part of Osho and, and never, never has been.
0: On the 13th of January 1977, when Bindu was less than a month old, she was baptised under the large porch of the Chuang Tzu Auditorium in Pune a place where Osho, at the time still Bhagwan Shri Rashnish, loved to give his speeches.
1: So I obviously don't remember the time that Osho gave me my name. I was merely a baby, four weeks old. But um, every time Osho or Bhagwan at the time came out and uh, did a lecture or uh, a darshan, as they were called, the, the name in c- ceremonies, um, they were recorded and these recordings, along with some photographs, would, were published in books. And Bhagwan and Osho uh, has many, many books that he has so-called written. They were never really written. They were uh, his, his words, his talks that were transcribed in books. And I know that my naming ceremony was, is part of one of these books, and I can't remember which book it is. But I remember there's a photo of me, uh, so there's a photo of my mother looking really blissed out and young um, with a a shawl around her head. uh, Holding me in her arms, I was dressed in white with also I think a shawl around my head or a little cap around my head. And a mala, we were given uh, what were, were called malas, which are these necklaces, these wooden necklaces with, I think, 108 beads, if I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm wrong. And then a picture of Osho in, in the middle of it. In this book, I remember as a child, constantly being drawn to it, to, to wanting to know how I came about to having the name Bindu. And... I was fascinated by the story and, and I remember Osho saying or Bhagwan saying um, that my name is Drop of Love and although a drop is, is small and can appear insignificant within this drop, you can find out everything there is to know about the ocean, about uh, all the information you need is, is merely held in a drop. And it being a drop of love, I always found that really interesting that even if I'm and I'm still to this day quite small as a person, quite short. Um, and I always liked that sensation of like, actually, even within something small, there's something mighty. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, and don't, I mean, that's me. That's my memory of it. And pro- I haven't read that that page in a really long time. Um, so it, I might be misquoting the, the, what he actually said, but that's, I remember, what struck me about uh, taking Sanyas.
2: Pran means love and bindu means drop, a drop of love. And the drop of love is big enough, it can become an ocean it contains the ocean within itself it is not just a drop no drop is a simple drop at least not the drop of love because the very energy of love is expanding opening blossoming and when the drop blooms it becomes the ocean so this is one of the most beautiful names it reminds one that it is very small yet it reminds one that one is not limited to such littleness. Everything that contains the great ocean is contained in the small drop too. If you have tasted one drop, you have tasted the whole ocean. If you can analyze a single drop and know everything about it, you know everything about the oceans past, present, future not only about this Earth, but about other Earths and other planets. So, the drop is small, but it's not small. Finiteness contains infinity. It's a microcosm, a miniature world. It reminds one that it is small. Yet, it reminds one that it is not small. And this is how we evolve in life. You feel humble, so you can feel Divine. Now this seems paradoxical, because when you feel Divine, people think, Are you crazy? You're very selfish to think you're Divine. But every time you feel humble, you feel Divine. Every time you feel a drop, you suddenly become the ocean. It's not paradoxical, it's only paradoxical in appearance.
0: Nomen omen, said the Latin, meaning that every name is an omen, a destiny. For origin of Alexandria, names are not pure conventions, as Aristotle claimed, but they do possess something magical, which binds them deeply to what they represent. And Bindu was finally that drop. She officially became that drop. Or maybe she had always been. But could she have had another self where she could take refuge in the future and which could contain her past if it had been her mother, the one who gave her a name instead?
1: And I never had a say, obviously, in whether I was sannyasin or not. My mum took that decision for me. Um, But many times throughout my childhood, I um, questioned it and asked my mum why and did I have a say? And um, so, yeah, I revisited that concept many times throughout my life. And I don't have another name, as a lot of my peers have different names that they could go back to, so to speak. I I will always be Bindu, regardless, um, unless I choose a name for myself, which um, that's a that's an option. And I, I remember. As a child, also, at times being angry that my mum hadn't chosen a name for me, that she hadn't chosen a name that someone else had, um, and feeling angry about that. But then I never did anything about it.
0: Bindu's mother left to someone else the choice of the name to give her daughter. And in doing so, perhaps Bindu was spared, unlike some of her fellow adventurers, the dichotomy of an almost dissociated personality in which there is one name and then another, a before and an after, a choice to be made. But Bindu is Bindu, period. So then the
1: other thing, it's interesting when you when you think about identity, you ask me about whether my name has always been linked with the, an identity of being sannyasin. And I, I don't know about that because if I was called Bindu just because my mum chose that, Would my identity have been the same? Or even if I chose not to ever live in a commune and never to follow Osho, um, would I have still felt that my identity was linked to Osho because of my name, because he gave me my name? And I don't know that. It's a really interesting conversation around name and identity. I, I trained as an actress. I, I went to drama school in London in England uh, for three years. And my name is Bindu Destupani. It's a very strange name, you know, Indian and Italian. And when I got an agent, one of the first things she said is, well, well we, we need to change your name. What do you think about changing your name? It would have been the perfect opportunity to change my name for, for work purposes. Um, to change my name and have an excuse that this is, this is not just out of my choice, but because I have to, I have to change my name because of work. And I remember really wrestling with that concept and thinking, well, what, what am I going to call myself? Like, what's, what's there to call myself that is me? I don't, I don't know. And I kind of like the strangeness of my name. And although people find it hard to put me in a box and say, oh, well, she's, you know, from here, or this is who she is because of my name. And that's the the bit that was confusing for agents and casting directors, is, oh, where is she from? Who is she? I also kind of like that because I am also both parts of my name in a sense and more than osha being representing of my name it's it's really my link is with india and and i feel that link much more strongly than than with bhagwan or or uh, in that sense so i chose not to change my name whether i did it the right thing or not uh, because i'm sure i'm sure that's gotten in the way as an actress uh the, the parts I play ironically as an actress you should be able to play lots of different roles and be lots of different people and yet I think that's been one of the biggest stumbling blocks is people going well where I don't I, I don't know where she's from so I don't know how to cast her um now as a film director I, I think that plays less of a part uh, or maybe it still does I don't know
0: Bindu was born and grew up in India, and India is therefore everything to her. The memories of her first five years of life are strongly linked to that country, and it smells. It is her reality, and, like the other children, she nurtures beautiful memories of India.
1: I have very uh, happy memories of those times in India that I spent with my mom and I should say we weren't always just in Pune, my mom traveled around India as well so but I want to specify that the the ashram in Corrigan Park which is this area of Pune, uh, the commune people didn't live in the commune, uh, people lived outside of it and came into the commune to work, to meditate, to cook, to clean, to do gardening um, so there was no, nobody was living inside it. I was certainly, my mum and I never did. We always lived outside in either Corrigan Park or in the vicinity, we moved houses a few times. And, but one place I remember very clearly is we lived in the, in the sort of servant's quarter of this rich Indian family's house. So they had a beautiful house and we had this sort of one room a little hut at the back of the garden. And that was probably later on in my five years, so that it feels like a more real memory. Um, But I remember being very independent. I remember definitely learning about being independent. I don't remember how our days were run, but I remember that I had an ayah, so a kind of nanny, an Indian woman called Elizabeth who I adored and loved and who adored me. And she would come. I don't remember if it was every day or certain times of the day. She had her own family as well. so And she would look after me and hang out with me. And I remember she had long, black, beautiful, shiny hair. And I always wanted to have long, shiny hair like her. And so I I remember her. and And I would say that subsequently in my later um, childhood and in my teens, I also went back to to Pune every year. Um, And so Elizabeth was somebody that was in my life for many, many years. She wasn't somebody that was just in those five years. And in relation to my mom, I mean, you know, she was on a spiritual journey, but she was also a mother of one. She was a single mom. So she didn't really have the option to just, forget about me and just go and live her life. And it wasn't really the done thing to be a mum in a spiritual commune. And I think she had a harder time of it than 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 I did in the sense that she also got a lot of uh, judgment about, you know, you really shouldn't be coming here with children and you really mustn't be on a spiritual journey with, with children. Um, so I think she's, the, especially the first years where I was a baby that was really tough on top of illness and all sorts of other things that India brings with it. Um, I don't really remember the sense of abandonment. I remember being very linked with my mum and yet taught, being taught from a very young age to be independent.
0: Bindu is very small when she experiences this, and like all Puna's children, despite her mother and nanny, thanks to this independent spirit of hers, she manages to escape from the chains of control, which, as we already know, were quite loose. Um, I think there's a story of one time where
1: my mum my came home and I wasn't there, and I'd gone down the road to my friends who, who were living in the, in the slum just around the corner. So by the river, there was a whole slum. Um, and yet I always felt safe. I felt that Indians have a great love for children and a great respect for children. Um, and I always felt my intrinsic feeling in my heart has always felt safe. I actually have really happy memories of those years and in India. That's, that's why I think it's deeply in my soul
0: Bindu is five years old. She's in Pune. It is 1981, the year when Osho decides to leave India to move to Oregon and found his new great promised land. So while Osho and his closest followers look for the perfect place, Bindu and her mother, like many others, return to Europe waiting to follow him.
1: I would say that I, after Pune, I never lived in communes uh, with my mum, so I knew that there were lots of communes around the world, and I often went to visit Miasto, for example, in Italy was one that, that has always been close to my heart, and I've I spent some time there. Also, when my mum went to Pune on her own and left me as a child, uh, either in Miasto or with my grandmother and great auntie. Um, But we visited lots of communes. So Akshaya, where I met Venu, who's to this day a friend of mine, uh, and other communes Berlin, for example, and other communes around the world. So there was always a reference point that there was some community of sannyasins um, in Munich as well. Um, But I never lived in a commune. My mother never chose to live within a community outside of Pune. That was her choice. And I think, again, it goes back to that, her and I and she was very protective of that to some extent so the sense of abandonment that other children felt was not always the case with me there were times I felt abandoned but I always felt she made choices within her own spir- spiritual journey she made choices that were very me focused I would say the only other commune I've lived in was Puram. Uh, I lived there twice. I lived there when I was six, and I lived there when I was eight, uh, and six months each time.
0: Bindu and her mother move, if not permanently, at least for as long as it is allowed, to Rajnishpuram, the place which gave life to the dream and then the collapse of Osha's community. In those years, Bindu is attending school in Switzerland and alternates her life as a canonical schoolgirl with that of a sanyasin girl.
1: I have mixed uh, feelings about Rajneeshpuram. In one sense, I lived there for twice for six months and it was great freedom, you know. I didn't go to school, I, um, I worked. We all worked and I worked at the chicken farm uh, with chickens and feeding the chickens and collecting the eggs uh, for the commune. I worked at the truck farm, working with the cow, was in the fields and have really great memories of being in the barn with hay bales and us kids sort of playing. I mean, when I I say working, we were doing stuff, but it was very life experience and it was really free. And I worked at uh, the fruit and vegetable farm, picking fruit and veg and um, working alongside an older lady who taught me all about the herbs and the fruit and the vegetables and um, and then I worked at where they picked flowers. Uh, it's like a flower, like a greenhouse, where loads of beautiful multicolored flowers were grown for the celebrations and um, the Darshan's. And I have really happy memories of, of those times. I have real freedom. I would get on the bus and on my own. And it, I, it's hard to, I, I just want to paint the picture. I mean, you know, we, we see on Netflix, Wild Wild Country, and you can see what the commune looked like, but it it really was a whole town where we were totally self-sufficient, where it was only for us, with lakes and gardens and farms and buses. And if you think about the modern world you know, as a six-year-old to an eight-year-old child, you know, I would take the bus and go to work and it would be incredibly safe. I'd never felt scared. I never felt worried. I never felt that in the same way that if I, if, if I, you know, I've lived in London and I've definitely, as a grown-up, felt unsafe and scared taking the bus. And I never felt that in Rashnish one of the happiest memories, I mean a bit funny and humorous, so once once a year uh, there was a festival at Rajnishpuram Puram where hundreds, thousands of sannyasins would descend on, fly into Rajnishpuram Puram to, for this period of time, um, it, like a celebration, it was a festival, like the modern music festivals that you have now, whether it's Glastonbury or something else. and. Um, And I remember there being a field with hundreds of tents, yellow tents, um, where people would stay in in these tents during the festival period because they were not residents. They didn't live there all year round. And I remember me and my friends would find it hilarious to walk through this tent area and listen to people having sex in the tents and would giggle outside at the strange noises that liberated sniassens would make. Uh, it was like a cacophony of sexual activity, um, very loud sexual activity, which was hilarious for us, us children because we didn't really understand what was going on in there, but it sounded very amusing. Um, so I remember that as one of the fun memories. It's a slightly odd, fun memory. So I have this juxtaposition of how I feel about Rajnishpuram Puram because on one side there was so much freedom. I mean, you know, I, I would go to school when I was in Switzerland and then I would go out to, to Rajnishpuram for six months and then come back to school and then go back out. And so academically I was maybe always a bit behind because I didn't do lessons like English and maths, even though my mum tried. I had a tutor in Rajneesh Puram who helped, but I was just, just, you know, just not interested. There was too much life experience going on. So in some respects, as a child back in school, I was a few steps back academically, but then a few steps forward from a life experience because I'd, I'd worked and seen things and experienced things and met people from all over the world and travelled. So there was this sort of juxtaposition. And then in Rajneesh Puram, I also have very few memories of my mum. I don't really remember seeing her during the day. I just, I don't have those, those memories. Um, she was working a lot. And, and I was just either at work or there was, there was not a school, but like a place where the kids hung out with lots of friends having adventures i remember that we my mom and i lived in a in a in an a-frame it was called an a-frame it was like a, a triangular house on stilts um up in the mountain bit and we had a rule that or an agreement that one night i would put myself to bed and another night she would put me to bed I don't know why that agreement came about or how that came about, but you know, one night, yes, I would put myself to bed. I'd go up to the a-frame, even if it was pitch black in the dark. I'd go and brush my teeth and get ready for bed and go to bed on my own. And and then the next night she would be there. And I don't, I, I what I feel at the time it just was what it was i just didn't really question it it's like kids are so resilient and just get on with stuff you know and, and now being a mum i'm a mum of two kids and if i think about that um yeah it's it's quite emotional to think about that because i think the intrinsic feeling i felt in those moments was was a sense of loneliness so but i think that was it's crazy to think, you know, we live in a commune and that and there's a sense of loneliness. And it was the 80s and, and there was a conversation around AIDS, what ha- was happening. And within the commune, we were not allowed to kiss each other on the mouth. We were not allowed to kiss each other. And I remember my mum saying that to me and not really understanding, like, why can't I kiss my mum now? I I don't, I don't get it. And I remember sort of hiding behind, I don't know, a house or a tree and having kisses with my mum so no one would see and then carry on. Yeah, so I have really happy memories and really empowering memories and then also, some complex ones, some difficult ones, that I, I, I don't quite understand and certainly wouldn't do as a parent myself. And I was at that stage in my, in my childhood where I was still young enough to just go with the flow, you know, not... I wasn't rebelling yet. I wasn't a rebel, I wasn't a teenager. So I didn't get caught in, in bad stuff or, you know, whatever that might be, uh, I, I was still very much innocent,
0: yeah. Like Camila, when she was afraid to even write a letter to her mother, wanting to send her a kiss. Those were the years, the years of the collapse, the years of Sheila and that handkerchief in the desert that almost none of us knew about before Wild Wild Country. Rajneeshpuram, the utopian city of Osho for which thousands of people like Bindu's mother work and to whom they donate everything, enthusiasm, time and money.
1: So yeah, one of the hardest memories. I mean, you know, I have so many memories of Rajneeshpuram and I could literally talk for four hours just on on the many memories. But I remember when it all collapsed, when it all fell apart. we were there, and and my mum lost everything. You know, I think there was, you know, there's a, it wasn't just an emotional investment; there was also a financial investment in trying to create a utopia, a world that was self sufficient, environmentally friendly, that was meditative. I mean, they really, for all the darkness that happened after, I as a child never knew anything with Sheila. All the things that went wrong, I was not aware of that. Um, I was too young still, but I remember when it all fell apart, and and I saw my mum cry, properly cry for the first time, because she had lost everything, and I was really shocked, and I didn't know what to do, and didn't know how to help her, and didn't know who the the baddie was. You know, I wanted to know who the baddie was strange this concept of like, who is hurting my mum? Who's doing this? It isn't just one person. It's a, it's a dream that's broken that has hurt my mum. And I didn't quite understand what that meant.
0: And I remember being quite shocked by that. And so, as for many others, the time has come to leave. Rajni no longer exists. Bindu's mother, however, although deeply wounded, remains faithful to Osho and his teachings, unlike others. And Bindu, once back in Europe, continues to attend sannyasing circles.
1: My mum, when Rajnishpuram ended, it's not that my mum stopped being a sannyasin. She just, it, they stopped living in Rajnishpuram. It's Rajnishpuram that ended, uh, but the movement didn't end in that moment. So we went back to Switzerland, and until... Um, until Osho went back to Pune, we stayed in Switzerland. And then he went back to Pune and and I suppose the Pune commune came in its own again. And um, my mum went back and forth uh, regularly to Pune and back. But I lived in Switzerland, I went to school in Switzerland and it was only at the age of 10 that, so I never went to Medina. My mom never, um, never wanted me to go to Medina. Uh, I don't know for what reason she was, because she never lived in the communes, they never imposed that I went to Medina. So she made a a conscious choice that 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 was not a place for me. But what I did do is I went to the school that came after Medina, which uh, was like a splintered off group of people who, who were teachers, who set up a proper school in Devon a school called Koswan School, which was a proper school, a legitimate school uh, with lessons and everything, and exams. I did my exams at the age of 16, English exams, GCSEs. And, but it was all under the umbrella of the ethos of Bhagwan and Osho and his vision on childhood and his vision on education. So it was a very, it was an international school, very independent school, um, where not only did you have lessons uh, throughout the day, like a normal day, nine till three, uh, three thirty, uh, school lessons, but you also lived together, you cooked together, you cleaned together, and you shared the daily life together. So there was um, there were weekly rotors of what people's jobs were, when when people had to do different jobs and uh and we all cooked lunch and dinner together so it was a team of two older kids one middle middle aged kid and one smaller uh little kid with two adults and that was a rota and that was our life and i was there from 10 till 16 and it was a proper school we were able to leave any time we had terms so we were there for three months and then we had a christmas holiday then we had three months and we had april holiday for a month, then we had a summer term, and then we had the summer holidays where we went back to our own families. So, and I have very, very happy memories of Koswan and it was not, I, I absolutely, there were people there who had been to Medina, who had experienced what Medina was like, and there were also lots of kids who were brand new and had never experienced Medina like myself. Um, so, yeah,
0: that, that's what happened um, in Devon. That's what happened in Devon. While Bindu talks and tells me her memories, my mind can only jump back to the beginning of everything, to how we started, to the newspaper clipping that Tim Guest rips and keeps in his pocket for a month, to Nicholas Schulz, Koswan. Were those the same years? That's a hard question to ask, but I cannot help but ask it. So I ask Bindu if she knew that kid, and she answers in Italian. Si, si, ero lì. Si, si, ero mio amico. Yes, I was there. He was a friend. At this point, we have to take a break. It was hard for me to listen to Bindu as she was telling me this story, and it's even harder now that it's my turn to tell you. That's why I suggest you do the same thing that Bindu did just before we started our long phone call. She asked to have the time to make tea. So, collect your thoughts and prepare for the rest using the very best part of yourself. Because sometimes, when a circle seems to close, the truth is that it has just opened. This is Roberta Lippi, and I look forward to having you back in the next episode of Soli, here on storielibere.fm. The international version of Soli has been translated by Edoardo Rialti. The international voice of Roberta Lippi is Cecilia Gragnani. Storie Libere Production by Gianandrea Cerone and Rossana De Michele.